Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 168. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Have you turned your key and heard that dreaded tick, 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 tick because of a dead battery? No worries. I've got the NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in your glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that will start a dead battery in your car, boat, truck, or RV. It packs a whopping 12-volt, 400-amp starting power and can start up to 20 dead batteries on a single charge. Plus, it has built-in spark-proof technology with reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart your vehicle. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are solid copper for maximum conductivity, and there's a built-in ultra-bright dual LED flashlight with seven modes, including an SOS emergency strobe. It's easily rechargeable with a USB outlet, and you can charge your smartphone or tablet while you're on the road. Works on any 12-volt lead-acid battery. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, your battery care source since 1914. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. Today I'm so excited to introduce a very special guest, Kelly Collins. Kelly, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I'm in my car and uh, looking forward to it. All right. Great to have you here. Kelly Collins is recognized as one of the most diverse and talented race car drivers on the track. He's won championships numerous times and driven for manufacturers including Chevrolet, Pontiac, Porsche, Nissan, Honda, and BMW. He's participated in almost every kind of racing venue imaginable, and he's ridden in motocross, and he's driven in the Barber Dodge Pro Series, IMSA, the FIA GT Championship, U.S. Road Racing Championship Series, America Le Mans, Grand Am Sports Car, and many more. He's enjoyed multiple victories at Petit Le Mans, Rolex 24 at Daytona, and 12 Hours of Sebring, and he's been on the podium at the 24 Hours of Le Mans four times. And in 2001, he was teammates with Dale Earnhardt and Dale Jr. at the 24 Hours of Daytona. He's been a Skip Barber driving school instructor and a precision driver in many Hollywood movies and films. So, Kelly, I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you just take a short moment and share a little bit more about your history in racing and your career and your passion for driving cars really fast? You know, I'll start off by it wanted to be a passion for driving really fast, but the occupation and the career that I had was for the love of competing and mm. racing, and that came later. But I grew up, I, I kind of was destined. I mean, my dad never pushed me, but every weekend we were riding motorcycles. I started riding motorcycles when I was uh, dirt bikes at four and racing when I was seven. Oh, my gosh. And I've been racing it. My dad and all his buddies, like Dorino Miller, San Havens, Bruce Myers, they were all the pioneers of the original off-road racing, like the Baja 1000. Wow. So I grew up in dirt bikes racing, off-road car racing, which is still my, my most favorite form of, of motorsports, believe it or not. Uh-huh. I did uh, race off-road for quite a while, too, in a Class 2 off-road car, but there was no way to make money and be you know, uh, a profession at it. I see. It, it's not that kind of sport. So I grew up with all these old cronies and, and you know, living, racing, breathing, hearing about the Baja, or the uh, 
Indy 500. You know, they listened to it on the radio because it wasn't live on TV then. Talking about Formula One. Uh, when I was a kid, you know, they'd, they'd talk about, you know, Nicky Lauda and James Hunt and all that stuff that the movies originally came. I knew about all of that when people, they said, did you know about that? I'm like, yeah, I lived it as a kid. And then uh, I proceeded into off-road cars and uh, a very famous behind-the-scenes ex-off-road racer that won the Baja 1000, uh, Drino Miller, who worked for Porsche Motorsports and Dan Gurney, and he's a big engine guy. He's the one that directed me. He said, if you want to make money driving race cars, you've got to go to uh, the Jim Russell Racing School at Bob Bonrod and see if you got what it takes. And then, you know, in road racing, that's that's the direction you got to go if you want to make an occupation of it. Sure. Being a dumb kid, you just, you know, you go to the school. I won a scholarship for uh, half a season in the school series, and my dad paid for the other half of the season and finished second, I think, in the championship and won five races. And the next thing I know, I want to go to IndyCars, you know what I mean? It's, it's that naive, <laughs> yeah. but it isn't that easy. And I did race in the Barbershop Pro Series. You know, I made it up the ranks quite a long way. And then one day I was uh, at Daytona, and I'd raced in the Support Series, the Firehawk Series. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to watch the start of the Daytona uh, 24 because I had a plane to catch, but I could get two hours in, and I was in the beer line to grab a beer, and a guy, uh, Jake Cochran, came up to me and he said, hey, man, will you take over the ride in my race car? Because <laughs> I'm going to go drive these Pontiacs that Pratt and Miller built. I'm like, sure, what is it? And I go, I don't, I'm not even licensed, but we went to the, you know, to make a long story short, they approved me after the race had started. And that's kind of the irony of this is that you did an interview with Dirk Lair. Well, Dirk Lair was my buddy, and he was driving this car with the POC, a bunch of amateurs. Uh-huh. And he didn't know that I was going to be in that car, and I didn't either. And when he came into the pits, he hops out and looks at me, and I said, get out of the way. I'm getting in this thing. <laughs> and I'd, ne- I'd never driven a Porsche. Wow. Uh, so, it, it, you, know the, you know the hot dog boxes at a consensus stand? Yes, uh-huh. Yeah, Jay Cochran, he, he drew the dash and the switches on a piece of torn-off cardboard, and that was my <laughs> reference. Oh, my gosh. And I ended up driving like 10 and a half hours in the race, and I don't know, I finished eighth or some dumb thing like that. <laughs> And then the rest is kind of history. I started driving as, uh, for Porsche, Porsche teams. Wow. And then went down the line. I, you know, uh, drove from everybody, Rook Racing in Europe. Uh, Alex Job won Daytona and Sebring for Alex Job. Nice. And, uh, and then I ended up driving for Chevrolet for 11 years for GM. And I drove for Panos. I uh-huh. drove, uh, yeah. So I've, I've, been, I've been all over the place. I've, I've driven in everything there is. I've won everything in sports car racing but Le Mans. You're like that Johnny Cash song. You've been everywhere, man. <laughs> yeah, right? It's, it's kind of funny when you look back at it. It was 25 years, yeah. That is so cool. What a start. Uh, yeah, here's here's the instrument on the back of a hot dog box. Hope you can figure it out. Get it behind the yeah. wheel and go. Fantastic story. As we continue on your journey, I always like to start with a success quote from my guests. And this is a saying that's been instrumental in informing your life in racing. And it's a great way to get the inspirational tires turning. Here on Cars, yeah. So, Kelly, jump in and take the wheel. You know, racing when I started was a lot different than it is now. There was a lot more mental game mm-hmm. because there wasn't all the computerized stuff. So I tended to not listen to my competitors, and I listened to people that were no longer racing. And I did a lot of listening and a lot of watching. Mm. And anytime somebody told me where they were breaking on the racetrack, I didn't believe it because you know they're lying or where <laughs> they're turning in, you know? Yeah. But something that not a lot of people do anymore, especially this generation, is people don't listen. Uh, you know what I mean? Yes. And, and racing 
if you observe and you listen, you can learn a whole lot. Yes. And that's probably the most important important thing, uh, you know, as far as that goes. And having personality. You know, you can be a really good race car driver, but you've got to have personality to deal with the cast of characters that are out there. And when you're out of the race car, uh, it's important that, that people get to know who that person is, not just with the helmet on. Oh, absolutely. I love that concept, observe and listen. And boy, is that important, not only in racing, but just in life in general. Oh, yeah. Would you share with us a pivotal moment in your life that instigated your passion for racing? I'd like to hear about that moment. Probably happened at a very young age from what you've told us when you really knew, you know what, I'm going to be a race car driver. I used to sit in my bedroom and lay a, a bar stool down and put my legs in it and put a towel over it and grab my dartboard with my steering wheel and I'd sit in, in a bean bag with my motorcycle helmet on and my bat was my shift lever. <laughs> and that was and I was like six, seven, and I that was my race car. Yeah. And I envisioned myself, and that was when I knew. That's when the light went on at, at that early of an age. It was, it was, from that point on, you know, I wanted to be a race car driver, and, you know, my mom always wanted me to be a fireman or this or that. I'm like, I'm going to be a race car driver. That's all there is to it. Oh. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. The, I, teachers would, the teachers would send notes home uh, saying, this is your kid's grades, and this is what he was drawing when he was supposed to be taking a test, and it was like drawing the race cars. Yeah, I I wish. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, your mom took a picture of you in that race car with the uh, bar stool and the bat. You know, I think she did somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that'd be a great. I had a pretty mean look on my face too. I'll bet. <laughs> That's wonderful. Yeah. So, Kelly, what I want to do now is take a look at some of the roads you've driven down, you've raced down, I should say, and crawl under the hood here and ask you to share, and racing is fraught with challenges and failures, but ask if, if you would share one that really comes to mind. But the most important thing is, how did you overcome it, and what did you learn from that failure or that challenge? Well, there's probably two points in my racing career, maybe three, and one was really funny. You know, not winning Lamar, and if I had more time, I'd elaborate. We were leading the race. I came in for the last pit stop, got out of the car, Andy Pilgrim got in the car, the car came off the air jacks, and instead of bouncing, it hit really hard. Well, one of the wheel nuts rolled underneath the car straight up, you know, the big knockoff? Oh, yeah. And it punctured, went right through the oil pan. Oh, no. And our sister car, Ron Fellows, we lost a lap and a half. They, they repaired it. It was a mind-blowing story how they repaired it with a paper towel roll. Yeah. But um, <laughs> they went by, and my boss said, uh, this is the way we're going to finish, one, two. When we had the faster car, they had an alien engine, and... That was a pill to this day. It's hard to even talk about because yeah. I wanted to win that race, and we earned it. And I'll tell you what, if I was in the car at the end there, I would have passed that car, won that race, and gladly lost my job at General Motors and all the pay to win that race. Wow. So that, that, that's a tough one. Yeah. The other one was is when I, I told you I was doing all the, the racing with Porsches, and we won races my old teammate, Court Wagner, and I, we won Daytona and Sebring, and then Porsche, you know, recognized that this team is a winning team, so they just got rid of me and moved moved in factory drivers. Uh-huh. And they helped me out with all these teams and different Porsche teams that I drove for, and they'd give rebuilds to them, or, you know, they were helping me, but I couldn't be that guy. And I was in Portland, literally, I was at Crossroads, because I didn't want to go back to Skip Barber. I wanted to still race, but I wasn't making enough money it was discouraging, and literally that day in the paddock, I got the call 
Out of the Blue by Doug Feehan from GM Race Shop. Mm-hmm. And uh, called me up and asked me if I wanted to come test the Corvettes. Cool. And that was uh, pretty miraculous. But that was a tough day. And then the funny story, as far as inspiration, at Daytona when I was racing with the Earnhardts, 2001, my reserve light went on, and my engineer said, hey, you can make it another couple laps. And literally, right after I went by start finish, it started bobbling. Oh, gosh. I'm like, oh, my God, this is crazy, and it's raining. So I blow through the, you know, I go through the infield, go down the back straightaway, and I go, I blow through the bus stop slowly, but went through it to save time, and the car starts running out of gas on the banking. So I'm down on the apron, and I just come off the apron, and it is the pit entry lane, but it's still about 150 yards before you can get into the pits. Uh And the pits can't help you. And I literally, you can look it up, you can find it, but as far as inspiration and a pivotal time of a do-or-die situation, I got out of the race car and pushed the, the factory Corvette down to the pits with racing shoes on in the rain. Oh, gosh. And I don't know how I did it. I was worn completely out. But all I could think of was is if, I, if I'm the guy that runs the race car that Dale Earnhardt's in, out of gas. Yeah. I'm never going to get out of Daytona Speedway alive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, had to, I had to get it done. Yeah. One way or the other. It was pretty damn funny. Oh, my yeah. gosh. That's fantastic. Yeah. Holy cow. Yeah. yeah. Kelly, let's shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum. Would you share a story when you had a real aha moment in your racing career and share the steps you took to turn that aha moment into a success? Um, I think there's several, Mark. Mm-hmm. There's there's times when, like I said, when you go to a racing school, I, I listen to everything I was told to do. And some of those fundamentals aren't always applied. And like, you know, they talk about warm-up laps or slowly building up the speed or do this. And one day I was, I was on a Honda team and my teammate was Randy Popes. And I always watched that guy. He left the pits wide open. <laughs> every single time he did. There was no warm-up. He was on it yep. and focused. And I'm like, man, the light just went on. What am I doing out there? Building, you know, doing what I was told as a, as a student, building up speed, getting my tires up to camp, all this stuff, when I can just go pull the trigger. And from that point on, I always pulled the trigger. Cool. Like the second the green flag, whether it was practice or whatever, and my face shield went down, it was on, and it, and it taught me a lot of things that when you take a race car and you go out and you, you do 60% and then 80% the next lap and then 90 and then 100, and you build t- temp up in your tires, you don't ever really realize what the limit of those tires are because you never faced it. But if you leave the pits hot, as long as you don't walk them up, but you spin them and you go through the corners and there's no grip and you have understeer and you back it off, you're building your limit and your slip angles with those tires as they start generating heat. Uh-huh. And so the car will slide, and then the next lap will slide a little less, and then it slides a little less. And then when you begin to slide within one to two, and a, two degrees of slip angle, front and rear or drift the car, you're completely acclimated, and you know your limit right uh-huh. at that moment. Very yeah. cool. Very cool. I love yeah. that. And Randy's been a guest here on Cars. Yeah, great guy. And yeah, great- yeah, yeah. Randy and I have been around together for racing in our careers forever that's fantastic i love that story could you tell me about your first really special race car the first car you got into race that really was special my dad and i built uh, a class two unlimited 
off-road race car, long travel race car, which at the time was very long travel. Now they're twice as long travel and twice as trick. But yeah. uh, it was a Class 2, uh, it was called the High Jumper, with a big 2180 uh, VW engine in it and a bus gearbox and triple shock in the rear and double in the front. And that was a race car that my dad and I built, and that's what I raced in off-road. And that was, that was my... Uh, that was my first really special race car. Sounds awesome. Sounds awesome. Yeah. Let's have a little bit yeah. of fun here. Could you share some of the adrenaline-pumping moments of the race that was the most important race to you, that race that meant the most to you of your entire career? Probably the most important race, and it doesn't seem like it with all the other accomplishments and stuff, but in 2008, Paul Edwards and I, my teammate at Pontiac, were driving a Pratt & Miller car. We were leading championship and uh, we had already won like five races and the, la- the last four or five races they literally slapped like a hundred pounds on us and they basically neutered us and we were finishing fifth and fourth and a third and our points lead was dwindling very quickly and the Porsche team was coming after us the last race of the year that year they I forget what they called it, it was a thousand kilometer race at Miller Motorsports Park uh-huh the team kept on saying, you know, you do, you do the long races with three drivers, if it's 12, 24, 10, petite, stuff like that. So we were going to use Lawson Oschenbach as our driver to help us, and we had to win that race in order to win the championship. If you win the race, you win the championship. If you don't win the race, you don't win the race or the championship, and, you know, it's game over. And that's it, yeah. Uh, yeah, and that's when things were getting pretty tight at GM. So they, they need every excuse if, if a team isn't successful – then we don't need those drivers or that team anymore in that venue. Oh, gosh. And, but if you, if you win, and you win the championship, and they use you for advertisement, it's hard, it's hard to pull the plug. Yeah. And the pay back at GM was, you know, we were the highest paid sports car race car drivers in the, in the world. Maybe none other than maybe the Audi guys. But Lawson Aschenbach was training so hard that he actually injured his arms doing pull-ups and ended up in the hospital... And his muscles released toxins into his body that almost killed him. Oh, my gosh. And so they said, who else do you guys want? I, I told Paul. I said, hey, Paul, this is our deal. This is ours. We're in it to win it. We don't need help from anybody else. We can do it ourselves. And we did that whole race ourselves. Oh, wow. And we won the race. But along the lines, there was adverse conditions that came in. Like I was in the race one time, and a cloudburst, just a deluge hit. The sun's out, and we got slick tires on, and we both go flying off the track, and I'm going through the gravel trap, and I get the guy spin, and I get the car going forward again, and I'm, like, thinking, i got to stay in it. And I drove all the way through the sand trap and all the way out the back side of the corner because had I tried to turn, it would have dug in, and, you'd have been and we would have lost Yeah, Done. That was it. I mean, it, it, was, it was so touch and go. And I made it through the kitty litter, got back out on the track. He did too, and we kept on racing. And like I said, Paul and I won that race, and that was a huge deal. That was a really big deal. Oh, sounds fantastic. Well, man. Yeah. man. Yeah, and it was a do or die. I mean, I'm just sitting there in the gravel trap going, this is all going to be over in about two seconds. If, yeah. if, I don't, if I get on the throttle too hard, spin the tires or anything, if I get stuck in this thing, it's like watching, you know, an animal getting on Animal Planet. <laughs> oh, 
Oh yeah, into the spider's web. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or the uh, emu feeding at the water, and the alligator comes up and gets him. There you go. That's <laughs> or, exactly right. <laughs> or watching the Seahawks pull a miracle out of their hat yesterday in their uh, quest yeah, to get. Oh that? gosh, yeah. yeah, fantastic game! Did you did you read that they they scored fifteen points in forty four seconds? I know. Yeah, well, I was here. I was watching it. We were just going insane. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Crazy. I'm up here in the northwest. So go Hawks! Yeah, you, yeah. <laughs> fantastic. How about current projects? I know you told me you're retired from racing pretty much, but is there anything you're working on right now that really has you excited and fired up? What excites me and fires me up is that I'm not traveling on the road like I did for twenty five years and taking off my shoes in airports and yeah. trying to find my rental car and. Yeah, all the politics of racing. I don't want it to sound bitter, but it's a it's a dog eat dog world out there. And uh, so, what excites me now is being home with my girl, traveling, staying healthy. My main source of income now, other than business uh, ventures, is I use my name to do professional coaching. Oh, great! And uh, I co- I coach a couple guys right now out of True Speed Racing in Costa Mesa that. Uh, the customers I, I work with in the Porsche Pro at GT3 Cup Series. Okay. You know, or I could or I could do something over in uh, Ferrari for our challenge, or I can go test drive somebody's car. I also am SAG, screen actor skilled for the last 30 years. So I do movies, not that much anymore, but I do car commercials from time to time. Uh-huh. I do stunt driving, and um, that's pretty much it. Every once in a while, you know, I do a lot of uh, shakedown. I do testing for Porsche, Porsche Motorsports. Uh-huh. And uh, so I'm still in a race car all the time. It's amazing uh, how much I'm still in cars. And uh, I occasionally race. Like I just won with one of the guys I coached. We won the uh, 25 hours of uh, Thunder Hill. Yeah. And, of course, a GT3 Cup car uh, awesome. last month. Awesome. Yeah. 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 Very so cool. That, that's pretty much That's it. That's what I'm pretty much doing now. That's what keeps me motivated. All right, Kelly. Here's a funny question for you. If Kelly Collins was a race car, what kind of car... What kind of race car would Kelly Collins be, and why? It would be a state-of-the-art trophy truck. Oh, my gosh. I would have never guessed that. Now, why is that? Yeah. Why is that? Well, my my passion from day one is off-road. Okay, that makes sense. I love off-road. But there's yeah. no, like I said earlier, there's no way to make money in off-road racing. Yeah. You know, and, and the equipment is the most high-tech, expensive, craziest stuff there is on a planet. I mean, a trophy truck is an absolute work of art. It is the most volatile, crazy, explosive four-wheel racing machine on the planet. Okay. I mean, the, the technology, the, the, the suspension, how fast they go across the desert is amazing. I don't know if you've ever seen trophy oh, trucks. Oh, I've watched them. It's, I, I am yeah. amazed they ever get to the end of the race without tearing themselves to pieces. Yeah, and unfortunately... You know, like if you're in amateur racing and, and you race a Formula Ford or you take your Porsche out to the racetrack, uh-huh. you know, when you when you bring it home, you might do a leak down just to make sure you do an oil change, change the tires, put new pads in it, do an alignment, and go race again. Off-road cars, if you win, lose, or anything in between, at the end of the race, the whole thing has to be rebuilt. Wow. So it's an expensive, you know, uh, endeavor and time-consuming, but those, to me, that, if I was a race car, if that, it's kind of a funny <laughs> question, but if I, I, now I think about it, I wouldn't want to, if I'm a race car, I wouldn't be, want to get that beat up, but <laughs> they are, they are awesome. They're, they're absolutely uh, the best, so that's, that's what I would be. I think that was a great answer, because part of that question has to do with how you perceive yourself, and I know you're a high, high-energy, high-fired guy, so I think that makes yeah. sense, so I love it. Well, Kelly, next up is the last lap, but before we put the pedal to the metal, Here's a little something for the Cars Yow listeners. 
Do you love vintage cars? Then go to CarsYeah.com and get a free copy of the fantastic Filler Up book. It's a full-color ebook filled with fuel filler fun with over 60 color photographs of vintage cars plus inspirational quotes from some of the most famous automotive enthusiasts of all time. Simply go to CarsYeah.com and click on the free book button on the homepage. Download your free Filler Up book today at Cars Yeah. Okay, Kelly, we're back, and this is the last lap. And you're a racer. You know what that means. The white flag is out. Time to put the pedal to the metal. And I'm going to ask you a series of questions and ask you to give me some really quick blips of the throttle answers. So are you ready? Yeah. Okay. What's the best racing advice you ever received, and who was it from? It was from Vic Elford, who's a very famous race car driver from the old days. Oh, yeah. And he says, he told me, never trust the English. (laughs) <laughs> what does he mean by that? Uh, man, I don't want to elaborate too much, but <laughs> first off, he's an Englishman, and he can't stand him. He would rather be acknowledged as a Frenchman, because uh, he lived in France for many years. Yes. Drove Formula One. Yes. But uh, they're just, you know, they're, it's kind of, in the racing world, it's God save the Queen. Yeah. And yeah. They, will, they will do whatever they need to do to get to where they were and step on anybody on their way through. Okay, and, I got gotcha. you. <laughs> uh, and, and if you think about it, like it's a tabloid nation, you know? Yeah. That's what they thrive on. So it, it is, and it's kind of true. Yeah. It, it, yeah. It's kind of an unwritten joke in the racing world. Well, I just sent Vic a, an email request to be on a, a guest here on Cars. Yeah, I sure hope that he responds because actually the first time I ever, ever got in a car to drive fast was way back in the 80s when Porsche had the driving experience. They were taking a big trailer around the country, and I was living in San Diego, and we were down at the uh, the uh, stadium there, and I got invited to drive all the new Porsche models quick. And they had some people there from Porsche to be your coach. And I get in my car, yeah. and guess who my coach is? Vic Elford. It's Vic Elford. Could not believe it. I just about went Isn't nuts. He, yeah. Isn't he awesome? <laughs> awesome guy. Yeah, yeah. So Let me tell you the, a funny, real quick Vic Elford story. Yes. I was probably 20 or 21, and I got hired to do a Nissan thing back in Sebring, Florida. And I show up there, and there's Vic Elford. That's where I met him. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really know who he was, but everybody was kind of giving him all this praise. And he and I just hit it off. So we went to dinner, and we went to this Italian restaurant. And we walk in. He's just this suave guy. And since you know him, you know you know what kind of his mannerisms. The hostess goes, can I have your name? And he goes, Vic. And she goes, V-I-C-K? And he goes, no, listen, my love. He goes, V-I-C-K is what you put on your chest when you have a cold. <laughs> and then he points to him and he goes, V-I-C is what you put on your chest when you don't have a cold. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Like, yeah, I love this guy. Oh, yeah. my gosh. That's awesome. That's that awesome. Funny? Oh, yeah. Very. Just right out of nowhere. Just yep. Smooth operator, yes. like 1970s race car driver is going to be. Yep, yeah. absolutely. Brilliant. Fantastic. Brilliant. Yeah. Yep. What was your most challenging race, the race that just beat you up? There isn't one, but I will tell you, like, when you race at Le Mans, it's a mental game. When you race at Daytona, it's a boring game. But when you race at Sebring and you do a double stint or you're really hot and it's humid and they say, hey, we don't have time to do a driver change. Can you do another stint? That place will beat you up. It is the toughest race there is. Oh, gosh. I've well, heard that. Yeah. 
is just tough. The different uh, pavement changes, the concrete, the bouncing, the turning, the technical corners, it's a tough one. Yeah, it's I've heard tough. that. Oh, fantastic. Some of the most memorable races, too, is like like you alluded to earlier, was is, uh, a third and three seconds at Le Mans. Standing on that podium with about 80,000 people underneath you is pretty, pretty amazing. Yeah, pretty fun. Yeah, it yeah. really is. Awesome. It really is. Could you share one of your personal habits that you believe has contributed to your success in racing? Not really to a fault, but I'm very anal and very thorough. What a lot of race car drivers don't really do is they, they don't get involved and, you know, they talk with their engineers, but they don't know anymore what, what makes the race car tick. Uh-huh. And, like, you know how a pilot, every time before they fly, they do a, a, a check. visual walk yeah. around? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah that's, that's what I do. Yeah, there you go. And believe me, I found a lot of loose nuts. I found a lot of things that weren't right. But a lot of times, guys got to cram and do things, and you know everybody's human. Sure. They make mistakes. Yeah, perfect. So you don't. You got to be careful. You don't want to call. You know, second guess your mechanics that are working on your car. But again, they're the people that are working on your car, and then you're going 200 miles an hour down a straightaway. It's got to be working right. Yeah, absolutely. I think so. Or, or yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've had lots of mechanical failures and crashes over my years. An injury due to mechanical failures. They're the nerving ones. Great advice. Do you have a resource that you could share with the Cars Yow listeners you're really fond of? I know there's so many out there, but perhaps it's a website or a person or a supplier or a blog. The one thing that I, I would like more people to know of that is kind of fading away is the history of motor racing. Ah, uh, yes. And 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 who the who the previous Formula One world champions were for all these years and how things, I mean, things are so, to me, my, my one frustration with racing and where it's gone is, is, you know, those commer- those Geico commercials, they say it's so easy a caveman can do it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, everything's so automated, you know, the traction control, the ABS, the paddle shifters, even if you don't shift, it'll shift for you. There's no, nobody knows, knows what H pattern heel and toe downshifting is, or for that matter, double clutch downshifting. To me, racing is an art form and the need of people that like listen to your show educated themselves looking in the history on the internet as to racing in its in its path. You know, it used to be that it was so much more dangerous than it is now. Right. Ernest Hemingway said the only two sports are mountain climbing and auto racing. The rest are just team sports. Yeah. I think you, know, you can diet. Yeah, his quote was something like that. You know, yeah, I, mean, I think he included bullfighting in that as well. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. I think yeah. bullfighting was in there too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, that's fair. I love that. I know what he said. Those are the only real sports. The rest are games. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Excellent. And and people now they just take it for granted. They get in a race car, and they go into a corner, and uh, they it's not their right away, and they take it, and then they both crash and they go into the wall, and they get out because they have their horns on and they have all this protective stuff and yeah. safer barriers, and you know. At the time, if you did that, you were dead. So I would like it if people just looked up, you know, with all the resources that are out there to see just exactly how they can educate themselves more on the history of, of auto racing. Speaking of education, is there a book that you've read in the past that you could uh, refer to our Cars Yow listeners that you were really fond of? Yeah, there's a, there's a book that uh, I remember it was called All But My Wife by oh. Sterling Moss. Oh, wonderful. And then there's a couple good movies uh-huh. to watch. Okay. I'm sure a lot of your listeners of uh, Grand Prix. Yes. <laughs> yes. Awesome. But yeah. probably a movie that's way better than that and is a true documentary is called The Speed Merchants. Oh, I love that. Yes. Have, have you seen that? Yes, I have. Wonderful. Yeah. Okay, and it's a documentary on like the 1970 or 71 
uh, World Sports Car Championship between Mario Andretti in a Ferrari and, believe it or not, Vic Elford in an Alfa Romeo. Yep. And it is a fantastic movie. Yeah. And it kind of, just alluding to what I was just talking about, how dangerous at the end of the movie, if you remember, and Vic will tell you about it, his good friend crashed, caught fire, Vic pulls his race car over, and this is all raw footage, and goes over and tries to get him out of the car, but yes. the flames are too yeah. much, and Vic had to watch him die in the car right yeah, there. Yeah, tragic. And that's the way it was then, you know? Yeah. You didn't know if you were going to see tomorrow. Yeah. And that, that's that's kind of like the, the, the Sterling Moss book. Yes. Uh, great references, and... Yeah, fantastic. I appreciate that. And listeners, you can find all these references and resources at carsyeah.com slash Kelly Collins. All right, Kelly, we're up to the checkered flag. And this last question can be a real doozy for some people. If you could only have one race car in your garage, what would that one race car be and why? I think because of my heritage and, and relation with Corvette and Corvette racing and me being born in 1965, I'd like to have a 1965 racing Corvette. Nice. I think that would be really cool because, you know, like you said, there's no monetary value. You can't sell it. What would what would you want? Or even for that matter, just a 65 convertible streetcar yeah. to cruise in. Yeah, you fantastic. Ah, yeah. Great choice. I love that. Well, Kelly, you've taken me on a great ride around the track today, and I knew you would, and I've really enjoyed your stories. I think we could talk for hours about all the races you've been in. I want to thank you for sharing your journey with the Cars Yow listeners. Could you give us one parting piece of guidance before you drive down the track in that Corvette Stingray? Yeah, okay. Well, you know, to any listeners that want to be race car drivers, I would say if you want to be one, have a plan, have money or sponsor, have a good attitude, be honest with your skill set if you have what it takes to do this by going to a school, putting your time, and maybe it's other sports beckon, but if you really do have that skill set, that's great. But also give yourself an exit plan because I've seen too many people try and try and try, and they never had an exit plan. And next thing you know, they've put in 20 years, and they're now 38 years old or something like that and not 18 anymore. And they're kind of then married to that niche where they are yeah. you know they might have let something else better pass them by uh but you need to have an escape plan and like a, a cutoff date and an escape plan and something else if that doesn't work out something else because i've just watched too many people pour all their heart and soul into it and they never got that career and now they're kind of lost in life a little bit is there a way for our listeners to learn more about you do you have a website or do you facebook or are you just completely off the radar these days you can hardly find me. I'm not into social media. You can find information about me on the internet, yeah. like you did. If somebody wanted to get in touch with me for professional coaching or something like that, I guess the only way would be my email. Okay. Mainly, I do I do most of my stuff on the West Coast, unless you know people fly me around. Okay, great. Well, listeners, you can find links to everything that Kelly shared with us at carsyad.com slash Kelly Collins. Kelly, thank you for uh, taking time today. I know you're sitting in your car right now and we're having this conversation and for being so generous with your history, your expertise, and, and sharing everything that you've done in your racing career with me and the listeners. It's been great fun. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the racetrack. All right, Mark. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah! 
Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah. Yeah.